If, if you didn't know by now, there's actually a museum for credit unions, the America's Credit Union Museum up in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, New Hampshire. Oh, it's oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, Sorry. In Manchester, New Hampshire. That's, that's the site of the very first credit union. You're listening to the Credit Union Leadership Podcast, a podcast that delivers value and offers up insight that'll help your credit union grow. ServiceStar has been consulting with credit unions for over 20 years, growing them in the areas of cultural development, leadership development, and management training. To learn more about what ServiceStar can do for you or your credit union, check them out at servicestarconsulting.com. Today, we've got Taylor Murray, Chief Executive Officer at ServiceStar Consulting, and Eric Gupka. He is here with us today to talk about something called a PhD, a credit union PhD. To kick us off, I want to read an email from a listener about this PhD program. Scott, I have a doctor's appointment coming up at the same time you have your PhD call. I'm thinking about putting off medicine for a while so I can learn more about the credit union history. Taylor Murray, we are we have people putting their own health at risk for your new program, the Credit Union PhD program. Can you tell the audience a little bit about this new thing going on here at ServiceStar? Uh, it's been incredibly refreshing and eye-opening over the last several months as we've started to really unpack the problem statement of how might we engage this younger generation to be a little bit more engaged with why we do what we do. And so, yes, Credit Union PhD, the philosophy, history, and development of credit unions has been this little uh, pet project of mine and uh, a good friend of mine, Eric, that we've really just been nerding out together over the last year, year and a half. And when we start picking it apart, it's, I think there's a lot of others that would really appreciate it. So we put on this hour and a half long workshop on a monthly basis. and. We've got about 50 people, This is which we uh, register and allow for each month. They get filled up without any advertising. It's all word of mouth. And the people that are coming out of it, the feedback's incredible. They're just, the responses have been so, I guess, refreshing because they care about some of the stuff that I've cared about for so long. And they're like, this is exactly what all of our employees, you know, they need this. And Oh, so that's why my conference rooms named the Bergadrin, you know, uh, conference room. And it's just like, yeah, like a lot of this stuff has been going on for a hundred years, but we forget about it. So it's almost like it, it has a kind of a 1922 feel to it. You know, it's growing at kind of the rate that credit unions are growing back in the twenties. So let's bring in Eric into this conversation, Eric. Welcome to the Credit Union Leadership Podcast. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you do, your background, and then, yeah, where did this idea for the PhD come from? Well, thank you. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, Taylor, for for having me today. Um, My origin story, you know, it's when I first met Taylor, I I knew that, you know, he was a brother from another mother because we, we have very similar origin stories. So, I started at a credit union when I was 16 years old as a as a high school co-op and have been in the industry since that particular time. So it's five years now. You know, it's it's, it's been a good ride. So uh, but no, I've been um, in the industry it really in the training and development space the last 20 years and am now working at um, one of the main um, vendors in the industry. 
the artist formerly known as uh, CUNA Mutual Insurance Society. That's a historical name right there. Uh, but really, really, you know, for, for as long as I can remember, since 2005, when I took the Credit Union Development Educator Program, History has always been something I've been interested in in general, but then when I found out about the rich history of credit unions, really how it fit with my values, it just absorbed me. So I wanted everything that I could learn about about the past. And really, you know, today, it's really like there's enough people who don't care about this. Right. There's there's plenty of people who who don't know, as Taylor was saying, the name of the Virgin Grin uh, meeting room. There's plenty of that. I want to be a part of that that group that cares about this. So, but it's so it's so true, Eric, that you say that because many people now it's no longer a career when they're at a company for 20, 30, 35 years before they retire. It's the I took this job because I got an extra dollar fifty an hour, or I saw an opportunity to develop myself, and my last company wasn't. And I've worked at a bank forever, and this was a good opportunity. This, that, and the other. But they could easily leave at the same time. So, what three hundred and fifty-ish thousand employees at credit unions in the United States? If you every day, there's thousands that are just cycling through as another job, but sure. there's that small percentage that is the underpinning and those anchors behind the what we do, why we do it, the people helping people. It's that culture. And we've been blessed with strong leaders in front of us and also strong cultures that have made it fun and encouraged us to get back and stay with the roots of what we do. And as credit unions get bigger and bigger and turnover gets faster and faster, you lose that connect connectedness of the roots that are not even that long ago. And um, yeah, uh, you can tell Eric and I have not only talked about this just for fun, people nerding out on credit and stuff on phone <laughs> calls, but also we, be- we genuinely believe that there are people that come into this movement They've got terrible leaders or they don't work at a credit union that encourages them to grow. And then, you know, maybe 18 months later, they're gone. Yeah. And that could have been the next CEO at the credit union, but they weren't engaged long enough or they didn't understand it. They didn't see outside of the walls of their credit unions. And yeah, so now we're just connecting people all across the country. I mentioned those 50-ish people that are on each call. They're from like 20 to 25 different states. And uh, I think the last one we had, it was, uh, I think 22 different states were represented and assets were like 65 million and some that were over 10 billion. And so when you get a group of diverse people, some executive roles, some in member facing roles that have been there for less than a year, and you get them talking and they start to say like, oh, like we're different, but we're collaborating and we're actually a lot more similar than I thought. Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe there's actually people out there that also do the same stuff we do. And just, we're a, a business that's built on cooperating with each other, but we forget that we should cooperate when someone builds a brand new branch across the street from us. And now all of a sudden we think of them as competitors, but now we're still here and collaborating and teaching and yeah. <laughs> you you know, you're right, Taylor. It's like that that connective tissue that that brings that you know 65 million dollar credit union to a 5 billion dollar credit union and and just 
really not people helping people, but one of the cooperative principles, co-ops helping co-ops, you know, and, and having this, you know, the this just great need for smaller credit unions with staffing issues, you know, and, and assisting with some of those real technical roles that, that bigger credit unions can do. That is part of our history. That's when, you know, Burgeon, Grin and Feline were in a room together banging out, you know, let's get more credit unions, you know, Feline hiring Burgeon, Grin for that cause to, to build up this, uh, this stockpile of, of great financial cooperatives. And, you know, today it always seems like, in every big moment of history, credit unions have always been there. You know, whether it was the stock market crash or the, uh, you know, um, financial fallout back in 2008, or and now us coming out of the coronavirus pandemic. Who's been there all along for the underserved or for their members? It's been credit unions, you know? It's it's amazing, but it's it's been no matter what our numbers have been, whether it was that peak of twenty four thousand in the seventies or you know the forty eight hundred strong we have today, credit unions have always been there, and that's a history we need to celebrate and we need to to keep active with. So, so fitting and so fitting, and to I remember crashing the Illinois Credit Union League in 2007. And there's 35 different people from all different Illinois credit unions. And I'm in my early 20s, give or take. And the person next to me is the CEO of a credit union. And I'm at Baxter Credit Union at the time, uh, somewhere in the billion-ish, two billion. I don't remember what we were at the time. And this person next to me is the CEO and he's about my age. Like, uh oh. So I, I look over and I start talking with him and well, it's him and his wife who work, his wife works part-time. They just hit $1 million, million in assets, and they were getting ready to introduce checking accounts to their members. Wow. Like, wait a second. Like, that's not a credit union. That's a membership in many cases. And yet we still cared about the same thing and staying in touch with that person and then being able to help out and say, oh, maybe there's something that we can offer you to streamline that process and make it easier for you to implement your checking account. So you just don't realize how different credit unions are, yet we still believe the same thing. Like different churches. Right. Yep. Yep. It, it's funny, Taylor, like to this day, I, I've been doing this for, for a long time now, but when some, you know, you meet someone and they ask you, oh, so what do you do for a living? You know, it's basically the first question that they ask you. And I always respond with, do you belong to a credit union? <laughs> and I start that conversation that way. It's not what I do, but I'm part of something bigger. And if they belong or if they don't know, I'm educating and, and basically saying, you know, if you're not, it's the best book, you know, value for your financial uh, life that you can have is to join a credit union. So maybe you should check that out. I'm not, you know, trying to tell you what to do, but uh, it may be worth your time if you want to save some money on financial services. So but. It, it's the whole, my wife asked me what we do at credit unions. Like, well, we buy and sell money. That's like at the crux of what we do. It's pretty fundamentally simple, super thin margins. We buy and sell money. But that's the one aspect that you can put to the side because we actually do make an impact on people's lives literally every right. day, or at least have an opportunity to. And if we're not taking advantage of that, well, that's why I get excited about being here, frankly. 
I could sell a car or we can sell some other commodity. Well, no, we might buy and sell money, but we actually exchange relationships for opportunities. And I I mean, if you want to even think of Louise Herring, uh, she was in a she was going into heart surgery later in her life. I don't know if you know this story or not, but the person that was performing or uh, the, the doctor at the time was that was performing her surgery as she's going in, looks down at her and he's like, you don't remember me, do you? And she's like, no, I don't. She got the credit union established, which got him the loans that he needed for medical school, which in wow. turn now is helping her save her life through this heart surgery. She had no idea the impact that she made. And she's been known to create hundreds and hundreds of credit unions across the Midwest and Ohio as well. And, but you don't know what you're going, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily know the impact you're going to have, but you'll have one. And so this industry is by far the only industry I've ever heard that can do that. Taylor, I I remember early in my career, I worked at uh, a branch that was located in a hospital at at the first credit union I worked for. And the manager of the branch kept like, ah, petty cash is the wrong word. It, It was her money in this, like in this fund. And people would come in and they're like, I'm overdrawn. And you just charged me, you know, a $10 fee. Uh, for this. And I have no money to do whatever, to, to buy anything. And I just remember this, this manager would literally give people money out of her own pocket. And I'm not condoning that, but yeah, please but don't like, you know, as compliance a young officers person, are closing their ears. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the idea as a young person, you know, to this day, I remember that. It, and her name was don't Ronnie say it. Don't say it. You're, you might implicate her. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it made such an impression on me. You know, when again, I was, I got a job. I'm, you know, going to school. I need some money. So I'm working at this credit union. It made such an impact on me. And I remember it to this day of like, that's people helping people, you know, and, and it's, it, it just, again, it, it affects me in some ways. And so many credit unions do that every single day with with many encounters that they have with their members. And you guys at Service Star, you know, you teach the frontline staff, you know, how to uh make those relationships impactful and, and and meaningful and to allow, you know, people helping people to really uh to really come to life. So plug for you guys, you can, you know, pay me later. So hey deal. I appreciate that. You guys all heard that, right? Uh it's my one of my favorite quotes of Zig Ziglar is, you know, you'll get everything in life if you just help enough others get what they want. And it's just such a powerful quote that I've tried to live by. And in our movement, it encourages us to do that. And yes, we feel that way. And there's a lot of credit unions out there that don't necessarily know the history, but still feel that way. But it compounds that when they start to see the people, the stories, the troubles, the trials, and what they went through to get to it. So while I think it, naturally speaking, we get it because we're here and we, if we're at a good credit union, we start to feel it around us. But when you start understanding the stories, I was not a history guy. 
And then you start to become one over time. And so when you can start to hear some of these stories that we go through in the PhD program, I mean, we think of Filene, right? Ed Filene may have heard it, but that's the department store. And some of the stuff that he did for his team and his employees was just a springboard into the credit union world. We have a millionaire out there that says, oh, wait, capitalism, nah, let's, let's not do that. Let's give fair wages to people. And how can we do that? And as he's traveling around the country, he doesn't have family, doesn't, never got married. Well, he spends his money on travel. When he's traveling around the world, he's starting to see these impoverished countries, but yet they're doing this cooperative, financial cooperative principles. It's like, wait, they're doing this. We're not. We have more resources than them, yet they're succeeding. We got to do something. And when Ed can pick up the phone, call his buddy Teddy Roosevelt and say, let's get some stuff done. It's like that's the the grit that happened back in the aughts, I guess you would call it now, the nineteen early 1900s to the 1930s. And like a critical time frame in the U.S. with the fallout of the stock market. And I mean, literally you've seen the videos, but that's when credit unions were birthed. So anyway, we, we truly can talk all day long and we may not get everyone to geek out as much as we are, but I'll tell you, I would encourage people that have not, well, if they're listening to this podcast, they care enough to listen to another workshop of some sort, right? I would encourage you to go to our website if you if they haven't, the events.servicestarconsulting.com and just go into our event page and see if there's a PhD that's coming up, sign up for it. And it, worst case scenario, you, you've meet, met some people from across the country that have a like mind that you might be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, remember me? We met on that workshop. And I, I kind of pick your brain on something. Most people are willing Let's give the listeners just the quickest rundown, if you will, just blocking and tackling. What is this webinar? What is this presentation? What are what can I expect if I show up to the PhD uh, at the next uh, upcoming event? Uh, what are some of the blocking and tackling things that we're doing for them here at Service Start? Well, and this is its first current phase, right? You have the PhD, that philosophy history and development. And when Eric and I were talking, it was really a three-part series where there could even be some annual renewals of this and you have to give back to the community as part of it. And so instead of trying to polish perfect, currently in its in its phase today, it's an hour and a half long workshop. And part of that is networking. Literally is a 10 or 15 minute point where we just say, go meet someone new. Talk to someone, introduce yourselves, and if anything, you've met a new person or two. And so the early part of this workshop is A, getting to know some other people. And then after that, we go into early 1800s. Two Germans, I'm not gonna spoil it now, how really they battled it out to say, hey, who was the first credit union, who was it? And then it goes into what we've deemed is our, the, the four M's, right? The mind, the muscle, the money, and the millennial. Of, of Desjardins, Filene, Bergendrin, and uh, Louise Herring. But there's so many others. And so we'll go into what motivated them, what triggered them to get up and do something. Oh, and by the way, they brought us here, but who's gonna be the one to bring it further? Many of us were still alive 
when Louise Herring was here. She passed away in 1987. Some of us have been around in this industry for longer than that. So it's not like this is, oh, remember back in circa uh, Egyptian <laughs> Roman era? No, this is 50, 70 years ago. And it's, they did this, you do something about it. Because those are the people that helped us get here. But man, we're not gonna go anywhere else unless someone else picks it up. Well, not every day do you get to go step back into 1907, and today we did that. If you don't know why I said 1907, go to a PhD class. They're coming up. And uh, yeah, some big things happened back in the 20s and the 30s. And you know what? It's the 20s right now, 2023. Come on to a PhD class. We'll see you then.